And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 241 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. How's it going, Brian? Going good. I got cell service back after a uh, little <laughs> little debacle this week with uh, activating a new phone. But yeah, that's all yeah. good. Well, I uh, dropped off my ballot at one of the ballot drop boxes for Cobb County last week. Very uh, nice. Very nice. Uh, yesterday, in fact, as we're recording. All right. I baked some birthday babka for friends with birthdays. I baked some chocolate cheesecake for myself. And I built another Game Boy Advance. Oh, so, nice, nice, nice. Yes, a Christmas present for my brother. Very, very nice. Yeah, yeah. I uh uh early voting starts tomorrow here in Georgia, so yep. we'll be uh we'll be jumping on that. Yeah. I uh <laughs> I ordered my ballot like the day I could. Right, yeah. So it showed up this week, and I dropped it off before the lines form at the voting uh, uh, precincts. There you go. Polling places, that's the word. You would think by this point, I would just not have to stop and think about voting terminology. Right, yeah, especially here, yeah. Um, It's fair to say we've been a little bit inundated here in the uh, state of Georgia. (laughs) Yeah, which, you know what, if that is the price we pay to get competent people in the Senate... Hey, I'm willing to pay that. Easy, yeah. I do not speak for panelology as a whole, but you know what? Fuck Mitch McConnell (laughs) and anything we can do to get him out of there. Uh, And if you want to know what I think about anyone else running in this election, I'm on Twitter. (laughs) Just check any tweet from the last two weeks. You'll see something. Here's, Here's a hint. None of them will shock you. <laughs> None no. of Alex's opinions will shock you. No. No. Um, but yes, Panelology says vote, Georgia. There you go. Anyway, let's talk about comics. Hard let's do pivot. that. Yeah, please. <laughs> Batman Black and White number 1. Oh, so this was our this was our black and white artistic focus uh, um anthology book. Yes. The first of three ant- anthology issues this week, in fact. Right? Yeah, it is. Um, so there we go. Uh, this had a couple of really, really good stories in it. Yes. So, um, the first one was a uh, a James Tynan book uh, story mm-hmm. uh, illustrated by Trad Moore, and uh, it, no surprise that Tynan wrote a good Batman story. But specifically, I think this one I wanted to point out because I think it does a really, really good job of kind of showing what stories in this kind of format can really do. I agree. Like, I think this was a yeah. strong, like, this is the first one in the book, and I think it was a strong decision. I do too. Yeah. To be the first one. Like, it, the second page of this, in and of itself, like, is a great example. You've got these League of Shadows, League of Assassins, Assassins, 
Mm -hmm. uh, running on a rooftop. And panel one is top down. Panel two, like, goes three-quarter turn behind them so that the horizon is now upside down. The third panel is from an interior window showing them so that the assassins are upright as they fall. And you've got, like, ceiling fan on the ceiling at the bottom of the panel. Right. With its pull cords hanging upward. Yep. Um... And then, like, it keeps, the camera keeps, like, finishing this barrel roll, so now it's behind them, and the 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 horizon on the bottom of the page is the glass and, and concrete or whatever facade of the building. Mm-hmm. And then we get them falling through a window uh, for a pair of panels before this big splash panel on page three, where this assassin who who's narrating falls through this giant glass ceiling window straight down toward batman yeah and and basically this story is it is a nameless uh you know league of assassins member right who talks about how his job as as called by rachel ghoul is to land a single hit on batman that's all he has to do to be successful yes is land a single hit and he talks about how, you know, yeah, if he went up against Batman by himself, you know, how amazing Batman fights. And if he went up against Batman by himself, how he would, you know, just embarrass him, basically. Yeah. But that that's not his role. That's not what he, all he has to do is score a single hit. And so he, he does. And then, you know, he gets defeated. But he talks about how him landing his one hit is just his part in what will be this, you know, long, long thing of wearing Batman down and eventually defeating. Yep. And like, it, so it's just that one point of view. And it's just a super different, weird point of view story. And I like it. Then we move on to a J.H. Williams piece. Uh, he wrote and drew the story. Also, just the the B cover for this he did. And that is the yeah. cover I got because it is, like, I love Capullo. Yeah. But, but this B cover is just yeah. absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, the art in this story in particular is just pretty damn amazing. Uh I mean all the art is good, which yeah. does I mean it should be because that's kind of the point of this, but this one there's something this one had a probably more than any other a very noir type feel to me. Well, I and, think I think Williams does layout incredibly yeah. well. Yep. And that contributes to it. And then he Agreed. also plays in this story, plays a lot with style to sort of show over the years but for Batman by using the history of comics different art styles to show time progression. Yep. Uh you know what's odd though is and we will get to it eventually, as cool as all of the layout and playing with the art and all that was in this book. Uh-huh. It did not have my favorite layout piece of, of this week. Which I think speaks to just the focus of this book is on the art. It is. So like yeah. that you can have J.H. Williams doing layouts, but still top that somewhere for you. Yeah. Like that is, I think, just a testament to the strength of the creators on this book, the artists yep. on this book. Agreed, agreed. The next one up, uh, and this is where we realized while while planning for the episode. The table of contents has the stories in one order, but they're actually in the book in a different order. Yep. Uh, the next one up is a Paul Dini, Andy Kubert story called First Flight. Mm-hmm. This was another one I enjoyed. I did too. It was, it was, it's exactly what I would expect from a Paul Dini Batman story, which is okay. 
Well, and I think the thing that's so impressive to me about this one, I'm normally for me, black and white comics tend to be pretty hit or miss. Right. And the first two stories use gray tones a lot to help distinguish depth of field and all of that, which is the thing that I struggle with in just black and white line that's, that's drawn to be colored. Right. Um, Andy Kubert does not use, I think, gray at all in this story. I do not think there's a single bit of gray. It is all line shading. Yeah. There are some, uh, uh, speech balloons, text boxes on the last page that are gray toned, but in the art itself, it is 100% black and white. And I think pulling off depth of field with just black and white is a feat. Yeah. And he does it. Yeah, Uh, and I know a part of it is the fact that there aren't colors, so because I know the coloration would be so different for the two characters. Yeah. But because it's in black and white, did you have a real Elsa Bloodstone feel when Talia showed up here? Um, you know what, as you say, I think it's 100% the fact that she is carrying a large gun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, like, kind of how she's looking up and, like, just, there's just a, yeah. But like the, it would totally not work if it were colored, right? Because their coloration is so different. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, just kind of struck. Then like we this. get to Sisyphus, which is written and drawn by Emma Rios. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one is more along the lines of of. I mean, it almost feels abstract. It almost feels the, poetic. I was going to say this feels like a poem. Yeah. It very much does. Yeah. And like the art. And lettering, and this is Steve Wands on Steve Wands on letters, but like the placement yeah. of text in this, I think, is so important here. It is, and yeah, and and this whole the the art style in this is just very, it almost I would describe it if you could think of stream of consciousness in art, it would be this. Well, it's like it's like a dream, right? It's like following yeah. dream logic. Yeah, and it just flow, it just kind of melts and flows one thing into another, and yeah. And worth noting here, Rios also does not use any gray. She uh, sticks I, to black and yep. white as well. Yep. Um, I realized while reading, because I've read Emma Rios before, like Pretty Deadly is Emma Rios on art. Oh, yeah. yeah um, but I realized in reading this, I, I need to see some Emma Rios Swamp Thing. Oh, that would be really, really cool. Like, Give me a five-issue Swamp Thing miniseries with Emma Rios, at least on art. Yeah. And that brings us to the last one, which is probably, like, this This is probably in my top two for yeah, the stories in here. Yep. Uh, Metamorphosis, written by G. Willow Wilson, with art by Greg Smallwood. Yep. And I, this feels so much, you mentioned uh, a noir vibe in. Oh, yeah. This in uh, yeah. J.H. Williams, but this definitely feels like. It was lit and shot in black and white for film. Like, it is yeah. so, so carefully controlled in terms of the tones on on the page. Mm-hmm. And even that, I think there's only one shade of gray in this. Like, yeah, there is gray, but it's all, like, all yeah. the gray is the same tone of gray. Yes. Yeah. Yep, so so essentially it's three color, right? It's black, yeah. white, and that single gray, yeah. Um, and and Waylon in an apron is... I, I need that action figure. Like, give me Waylon in an apron at a stove with a frying pan and a, a big wooden spoon. Sure. Put, put Todd McFarlane's toy company on that, please. 
I, 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 no surprise, G. Willow Wilson, I, that I love this story. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, on, on the whole, really, really good, good, different, unique book. And I yes. like that. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Dark Knights, Death Metal, The Last Stories of the DC Universe, One Shot. The further we get into this series, the longer the titles. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what, though? I'm okay. I absolutely loved how they laid out and and told these stories. Like, the stories in and of themselves were, some of them I thought were really good, so like, mm-hmm. you know, that's, but separate from that, like, all of them acknowledge the other, and they all take place, you know, at the same time, and we're given that, like, we're given that grounding in these. Like, they are able to reference each other, not like in a, a like a story way, but just in a grounding way. Yeah, well, like, this is all a single night. It's Correct. very much the the sort of storytelling device, the classic sort of storytelling device of everyone the night before they go off to war. Yeah. Now, that being said, I also absolutely loved some of these stories. Yeah. Let's let's skip the Titans first since yep. it bookends oh, the issue. That's what I was gonna say. All I want to say is that the Titan story that we will talk about does bookend the issue, so understand that it opens with that and closes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and then we come to, after the first half of that, Green Lantern in Last Nights, with a K, by Jeff Lemire God, and, and Raphael know, Albuquerque. I, I think I read through this without paying attention that, that this was Jeff Lemire. Uh-huh. And this is the kind of Green Lantern story that usually I don't care for, which is how just kind of, ta- mostly like a how being by himself prepping for something. And those yeah. tend to be just overdone, kind of. Yeah. Had I, I realized it was Jeff Lemire doing it, I probably would have gone, oh, okay, yeah, this... I, I probably shouldn't approach it with that attitude, and I would have been right to do that, because this was amazing. <laughs> I was thinking about the same kind of thing while I read it. Yeah. And I think there's a reason why it works so well. Yeah. I think what Lemire has done here is say, okay, what is the one thing Hal wants? He wants to fly, period. So what would ground him? And the whole issue, or the whole story, Mm -hmm. is really about this one, like, what is something that would bring him back down to Earth? Right. And it's the weight of the core and Sinestro and its whole history, and what lets him fly again is looking forward instead of to the past. Right. Yeah, there's a there's a whole lot in this and essentially I guess this would be the theme that runs through this, right? Is that you it's not like you forget everything that came before, right? But everything that came before at this point kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. What the only thing that matters is right now and what we may be able to pull out of this. Yeah. Right. And so in that basically Hal shows up uh, you know, he's like, I just want to fly. And he goes to the Valley of the Rainbow Rings, which, if you know, is like in the, the, all, the, the all the big, big battles between all the lanterns and everything. Essentially, it's where all of the spent power rings and thousands and thousands of them, right, mm-hmm. have are, are gathered. And so basically it's it, it's like a memorial to the fallen of all the Green Lanterns is essentially what it's become, right? 
And while he's there, Sinestro shows up. Yeah. And Hal's like, what the hell are you doing here? I can't believe you would come and confront me on the tonight, you know, when did it? And he's like, yeah, that's not why I'm here. And Hal's like, wait, you want to? And like, he comes to a realization and he has a moment and Sinestro's like, yeah, I get that. I don't deserve it. And that's fine. And turns to walk away. And Hal comes to that realization of, you know, what's in the past at this point doesn't matter. And basically forgives Sinestro and gives him a green ring. Yeah. Because Sinestro wants to fight this last battle as a Green Lantern. Which I think is a really nice, like, as much as, especially in New 52 era, Sinestro mm-hmm. sort of struggled with hero versus villain versus might for right versus whatever. Yep. Like, yep. seeing him come back to that, I think, is a nice piece. So he takes the green and he says the Green Lantern oath, right? Yeah. And then he makes a comment that is, basically, after he finishes and the the green ring is charged and he's wearing a green, I'd forgotten, forgotten what it feels like to not be afraid. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's really cool. The the other thing along the same lines that is in here is, yeah. there are a couple of moments where Hal mentions looking for blue, like finding yeah. the blue in the sky and the, you know. Yes. What is the Blue Lantern Corps? Yeah, isn't it Hope? It's Hope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we move on to a Wonder Woman story by Mario Kotomaki. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Samperi and Adriano Lucas are on art. They did some issues of Tom Taylor's Suicide Squad. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and we get Diana and Riddler, which is a pairing that I'm not sure I've ever seen before. Well, and he mentions, he kind of yeah. mentions that. He mentions too, we right? never talk. Yeah, right. Yeah, but but essentially, because she has a conversation with Hippolyta, and she has a conversation with Riddler, and then she has a conversation with Adonna Troy from a different Earth. Yeah, and essentially, all of them are causing her to think about what do you have to do to be prepared for this battle, right? Yeah, and you know the realization is there's nothing I can particularly do. Like, there's not a combat training sequence I can go through or any of that. Literally, it's just preparing myself and and realizing what I'm trying to fight for, and that's it. That's all I can do. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know that I've got a whole lot to say there. I think it. It. Yeah. It says what it wants to, and there's not a lot to sort of add or pick apart. It's very precise. Uh, the art is absolutely gorgeous. Um. <laughs> Then we get a green green arrow black canary story. This might have been my favorite God, in this entire I, it, book. Here's the thing. When you say that though, there's some others that are also so good. Like, but you may be right. This is really, really good. I stand by it. I think this I, one was my favorite. Man. So it's Dinah and Ollie are spending their last night before the battle together, Yeah, right? And uh, this is Gail Simone with Megan Hedrick on art and Mar- Marissa Louise on color. Yeah. And it kind of starts out with them sitting there and talking about, you know, they're asking, Ollie asked her if she has any regrets. And she was like, the only thing I can think of is I kind of always wanted an oath. Like, I was always a little jealous of the Green Lanterns <laughs> that they had this this oath that they could commit themselves to 
when they and he was like oh and he like makes this joke about it right beware my noise black canaries yell <laughs> right <laughs> she's like, Sh-, and she's like shut up you dork you know this <laughs> but then he's like yeah my my only regret is that we kind of never had a real first date we just kind of jumped into the relationship right um and so they kind of spend the next part of this trying to have that kind of first date where they talk through things and and that kind of stuff. And which we yeah. also get a panel of, I think, <laughs> yep. my my favorite so far alternate take of a DC team from Earth Goth. From Earth yes. Goth, the Gloom Patrol. Yes, they're completely insufferable. I yes. need an ongoing, please. <laughs> uh. Then they yeah so he for for dinner he takes him down to uh, basically the Amazon sea rations, <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically their store of foods. Uh, then they try to go for a walk on the beach and get assaulted by Joker sharks. <laughs> Joker megalodons. Megalodons. Yes, I'm sorry to be clear. Yeah, um, and then um, they, you know, they they go and they have a moment and then Ollie gets down on one knee. And she kind of stops, and he's like, uh, so, yeah, um, let's take care of that other regret. And he gets down on one knee and gives her an oath that clearly he's been thinking about. Yeah. And it's, I, I am the wall, I am the shield, and I do not run. I see the evil coming towards you, and I do not run. I stand between you and the darkness, and I do not run. So that's it. That's the oath. And, yeah. So, basically, he's given her you know that oath and then she said oh god when you got down on one knee i thought maybe uh maybe you were gonna propose and she's like and you know not that i hate that idea but like i don't want it to be like this if i choose somebody to marry i want it to be because there's hope in the world not because you know it's the end of things and he's like well you know good thing i wasn't asking (laughs) she says i want to be in a place of hope with all the options in the world and he still chooses me yeah, exactly. And, and then, then their then their gender alternate universe daughter shows up. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Black Arrow shows up. Laurel Lance Queen, and wow, they're a little shocked by that, to say the least. Yeah. And what I love is Holly looks at. It, he's like, Shh, just let me look at you for a minute. Oh my God, you have your mama's eyes. You have canary eyes. And he's like, what's so funny? He's like, nothing. I just uh, was a little different on my Earth. And we see that the Dinah was Green Arrow and Ollie was Black Canary yeah. <laughs> on there on her Earth. <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it's just a real touching moment where they all acknowledge that, you know, it's odd and, you know, she isn't their child, but still has a connection to them. Right? Mm-hmm. And, like, there's some things that I love about this where, like, you know, uh, Dinah goes up to her and she's like, I just want to say, and she's, and the daughter's like, you know, I'm going to fight with you. She's like, I know. You can't stop me. I know. But you're under my wing, so just stay close to me. Can we agree on that? She's like, yeah, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's, like, that's a reasonable thing, right? And then Dinah repeats the oath, like, as the, like, it's just so good. Right, and then we see that yeah, Ollie did have a ring, and yeah. thought about proposing to her, and realized that she was right. Yeah, yeah. So Ugh. then we move on to Aquaman, 
Uh, written by Christopher Sabella, art by Christopher Mooneyham, colorist by Enrica Aaron Anglioni. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is very much... This is Aquaman's journal, just explaining why he took the role of, like, sea captain for... Baphomet. Yes. Yeah. Baphomet. Um, Baphomet. Um, It's very much just kind of a, like, in his head, here is his logic sort of issue. The art is... Story. The art is gorgeous like the coloring in particular like the deep dark sea colors i think are fantastic Mm -hmm. and essentially it's a letter that he's writing to andy about why he made these choices yeah really good the next one has the one that i'm most questioning if it's going to have an effect on status after this yeah i so this is called the bat family Mm -hmm. it's written by cecil castellucci Art by Mirka Andolfo, colors by Andrew Dollhouse. This opening between Bruce and Barbara, I love. Yes. Right? So basically, it's Bruce going to Barbara, and he's like, you know, she's like, you know, the family's gathering if you want to come talk to us, this, that, and the other. And basically, Batman says, Barbara, you've always been a leader, and you see things differently than I do, but that doesn't mean that they're wrong. And I've underestimated you in the path, and for that I'm sorry. Like, yeah, yeah like, yeah. This and, feels and very kind of... much like it's about closure, in exactly. More, and I think more discreet ways, in mm-hmm. more like very specific ways than yep. some of these other stories are. Agreed. So she goes and starts rounding up different members of the Bat Family yeah. to tell them, you know, that we're meeting, whatever. Like she goes to Tim, and Tim is having a. Uh, playing poker with uh, some villains and you know cleaning their house, cleaning their clock because he's cheating. By the way, yeah, <laughs> I love it. Uh, and Jason Todd is like talking to uh, one of the uh, Mara on Themyscira, right? They're all on Themyscira. All of these stories take place there. Yeah. Um, and is talking to Mar, who is apparently like the the, the weapons master. Mm-hmm. on this island and you know getting swords and guns and all like so jason right yeah um and then she goes to find dick who is serving food to people which is great right yeah but the problem is dick wants to have this conversation about he wants to express how he really feels to her right mm-hmm. and she is in a place where she's like i i can't know what you want to do is unburden yourself and give that burden to me. And I think that's like I am one hundred percent with Batgirl on this, and think right. it's a little ridiculous that Dick doesn't cut it out. And I, I have felt that way yeah. any time I have read the two of them right. for the last ten years. Well, and the problem is, it's almost like, and I, I, I hate saying it this, way, it's almost like Dick wants to have his cake and eat it too, right? Yeah, like he he doesn't want to fully commit to something. But he doesn't want her to not be there if he decides to. Yeah. Does that make sense? And I, it yeah. does. Like the the, and I think there are so many tangents we could go on about like there, oh yeah oh, the yeah, treatment yeah, yeah. of Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon both as characters in comics over the last ten oh. twenty however many years. Yes. But like at some level, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever been given a reason to invest in them as a couple. Right. And here's the idea. It, it It's almost like I'm I kind of feel like, like I don't hate the idea at all. But like, if you're going to do it, you need to commit to it. 
Yeah, like that's that's and that's why I say like that's one of the editorial tangents. Like there was a no no marriages and maybe no relationships for certain characters rule in DC for a while. Yep. I don't know. The Dick and Barbara thing, it's like you said, I'm I'm not against it either. I just I don't have any reason to believe it should actually work. Yeah. Well, and then then we get to the part that's so odd to me that they chose to include. Like they don't just bring this up and let that go. Um they had this thing about how, you know, Batman basically brings everybody together and is talking about how, you know, exactly what I said, the past doesn't matter so much. All that we need to concern ourselves with is tomorrow and what we can pull out of this, right? Yeah. And, you know, and then Barbara, Barbara and Dick start arguing again, and he's like, maybe we should just, you know, maybe we should talk this through tonight so that we are, and basically the same thing, right? And she's like, no, what you're saying is you want me to tell you how I feel and, you know, acknowledge that – and I can't take losing somebody again, right? Yeah. Like, I just lost you. You've just come back, and now you want me to commit all my feelings to you. And and Batman walks up, and he's like, enough. Quit arguing. He's like, I, I need you guys to just realize that the only thing that matters is how this ends. And Dick looks at Barbara and says, the end? Okay, then Barbara, marry me. And she's like, wait, is that where you think we end? He says, don't you? And she's like, well, yeah, I guess I do. And then Batman says, okay, well, then by the power vested in me by nobody, you're married. It's done. Yeah. And so, like, they're like, okay, then I guess we're married just for tonight. And, you know, we'll be together and express our feelings and whatever. But, like, it doesn't hold if we make it out of this. Right? Yeah. And here's the thing. I 100 totally percent get the the thoughts behind, you know, it, it, this is our last night alive. Consequences be damned thinking. Like, yeah. I think that's one of the most natural places to go. And, you know, in human logic and emotion. But it just feels odd for these two a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. And, yeah. 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 Well, um, Mark Wade and Francis Manipal then do Superman. Yep. Um, Superman makes himself a time turner so he can yes, save that... everyone and still have time to see his family. Yep. It's it's the most Superman answer to this. And yeah. all I could think of while reading this, and don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed this. But all I could think of while reading it was the Flash asking Superman, how do you handle work-life balance? And I'm right. like, oh, so badly. So very badly, so actually. So horribly, yeah. Okay, so the very last page of this. Can you have it where you can look? Yes. The top panel on the last page of this story. Absolutely gorgeous. It, it is. Is it not? Does it not very much give you a Dark Knight? vibe uh with you saying that like the dark knight the like the, the cover to frank the... miller yeah 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 like the with, superman version of that kind of with you saying it i absolutely yeah. see it i don't think i would have gone there by myself i don't i, I love it don't get me wrong yeah. but it just it just and I, I i don't think it's exactly that i think it's more like if anything it would yeah. have been like an homage type to that right but it's like it's so good. There, there's enough of it there that when you said, "Do you get a?" and then paused for a moment, yeah, I did complete it as, "Oh, he's going to say the Dark Knight." Yeah, yeah. 
um, like I knew where you were going once you started the question. So I think there's definitely something there. I just I don't think if questioned I would have made the right. connection. Okay. Or if not questioned. Then we get our the conclusion, so the the, the other side of the bookend for the Titan yeah. one. So the Titan story is basically Titan's beach party. Sure. Sure. Which I love, I dig. Uh so this is Josh Williamson, James Tynan, and Scott Snyder on art, Travis Moore I'm sorry, on writing, Travis Moore on art, and Tamara Bonvalane on colors. And it is probably like maybe other than the Ollie and Dinah one, right? Mm-hmm. Probably the most kind of realistic what I think would happen. Agreed. In that basically all the people who have ever been titans of any kind kind of all gather together to kind of talk through and reminisce and share their friendship with each other and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's everyone from, you know, the the OG titans to, you know, Crush and and Red Arrow and, and all of the, the ones that Robin just took off from. Yeah. yeah. Um... And you know, there's it, it's it centers or is focused on the point of view of Donna. Yes. Um, which is it, 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 I like that we have a character to follow through this, right? Yeah, and I like that we saw Donna. I mean, granted, a different version of Donna in the sure. woman, but like in more than one story here, there's 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 been enough Donna in this and in a couple of other death metal issues mm-hmm. but like i feel like they're this close and this is an auto medium my fingers are obviously very close together they're this close to like anchoring something on donna going forward yeah and i'm like i'm kind of waiting for that payoff god man i i can't tell you how much i'd love that i mean i if the whole point of the event is everything matters and donna troy Asterisk, maybe not the new 52 Rebirth version, but historically Donna Troy is the one who remembers every version of the past. It stands to reason that she's got to be central to what's going on. Yeah. Well, and I love how she talks about when when I first joined the Titans, it wasn't about fighting bad guys or giant cosmic battles. We really just wanted to hang out with kids our own age who knew what it was like to be around these larger-than-life boot heroes. Yeah. And if you've ever read, like, the original format, like, that totally is what it is. That's why it was all the sidekick. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, they just wanted somebody else who kind of understood them. Yeah. And how how much sense would it make, and I know we know this is happening, but sure. how much sense would it make for them, the people who've been in that position, to create an institution that hmm. took in younger here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I'm I'm um, I'm very excited for that book. Yeah, and then you know she goes and and runs into uh, Garth and and uh, Dick, and you know they have a conversation, and then somebody shows up, and that's where the break is. Yeah. She's like, uh, you know, somebody, you know, we we see this sound effect, and then it's like, oh, dude, what's he doing here? And Starfire's like, why is everyone so tense, Raven? She's like, mm, we should talk, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> And then Donna turns is like, what's everyone? And that's, we see Wally has shown up. Yeah. Uh, and we just see the look on Donna's face, and that's where th- we break for all these other stories to happen. Yeah. Um, so, 
if you've been if you if you are Corey and you don't know this <laughs> why this would be a thing, um, I refer you to um, Heroes in Crisis. Yes, because Wally West killed Red Arrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, this is probably my second part of this book that I loved, and that is knowing nobody forgets who other people are just because yeah. of events, right? Yeah, we see Donna look at him, and Donna starts. And I love Crush. Crush makes as Donna's walking to him. Crush is like, "Yeah, my money's on the Amazon." <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. And sh as she walks up to him, she doesn't say a word. And Wally starts to like say, I, I don't know how to even say how sorry I am. And it starts trying to about, but like can't find words. Right. And Donna just hugs him. Yeah. Like she knows there is no way she could say anything that would not make him feel how worse than he already feels about what happened. Yeah. And doesn't forget who he is, right? And, like, yeah. And given the yeah. situation that they're in, what else are you going to do except forgive? Yeah. And then everyone else remembers what I was thinking. Batman has the Black Lantern ring, and Dead Arrow yeah. shows up. <laughs> Dead Arrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rory, uh, zombie Rory. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so Roy shows up and he's like, you didn't think I was going to miss this fight, do you? And I love there's no conversation between Wally and Roy. But Roy looks over and sees him and just, like, tips his hat. Like, yeah, like, yeah there's something here and we probably can't deal with it. But, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Oof. Oof. And then we get, the other thing I love is we get this page where, She's talking about, you know, what she realized that she was because Donna was kind of by herself when this started and, and Beast Boy comes up and finds her right to bring mm -hmm. her to this party. And we see Batman and the Bat family and Flash show up to talk to Wally and like all of the like everybody that's on Themyscira. Right, start showing up, and we see these panels of the Bat family and we see Sinestro and Hal come in as Green Lanterns, both of them. Right. Yeah. And we see um, uh, Arthur and Mara and Andy together. Like, so, and we see uh, Ollie and uh, uh, Dinah kiss, right? Like, so we see all of these stories, like, we, we see this whole thing, like, yeah, this was all happening right now, and this is it. And what Donna came to realize, what she spelled out on the beach was together. Yeah. Which is the name of this short story right and it's the whole titans thing right titans it, it is together. titans together yeah. right and she's like what i realize is that we're never alone we yeah. you know yeah so good so good and this leads right into death metal number six yes yep um yeah all right third uh, so and that was long but I, like <laughs> so good so good third and final anthology book uh and i'm going to keep this one to the highlights um dc's very merry multiverse there were 10 stories in here um and highlights for me were john layman and danny on christmas by gaslight which is a gotham by gaslight universe story 
about Plastic Man trying to pull a heist on Christmas and accidentally delivering all the toys and creating a white Christmas. Um, I enjoy John Lehman in general. The thing that really elevates this for me is Danny's art and coloring. Um, just It is so, like, fluid and watercolor and sketchy and, like, Especially for a Plastic Man story, everything kind of having a, a sort of loose vibe mm-hmm. fits really well. And that's against the very, like, architectural style of that world. Um, Like, she she does both, and I think splits the uprights really well. Yeah. Um, And her coloring does a lot, I think, to help reinforce that. Uh, another one I want to point out is... uh it. It's called To Stop the Star Congress, starring Teen Justice. Uh, This is written by uh, Ivan Cohen, artist by Eleonora Carlini, colors by Ulysses Areola. Uh, This is set on Earth-11, where all the heroes' genders are swapped. Um, And I want to point this out for two reasons. One, it's, it's just a lot of fun, and I like the art in it a great deal. But two, this is sort of our introduction to Kid Quick. The mm, uh, right, uh, their aunt is Jesse Quick, who is this Earth's Flash, and they are the Flash who was on the Justice League Future State roster. Yep. Uh, the other kind of like surprising breakout star of this to me is, uh, oh, what is her name? Clarion, the Witch Girl. The Witch Girl. Yep. To... Instead of Clarion, the Witch Boy. Yep. Um, this oh, I is... do like I do like her. I'm looking at her now. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is about like Starro trying to take over the world on the count of midnight on New Year's Eve. Um, uh, David F. Walker and Gustavo Duarte do a Bizarro story that is about President Superman making a holiday about connecting with other people and Bizarro feeling left out. Uh, Duarte drew that Bizarro series a few years ago that I loved and mentioned occasionally. And this one is a delight. Um, and I think the other one that really stood out for me, especially because I'm a big Booster Gold fan, is a Booster Gold story called Twas the Night, written by Brittany Holzer, with art by Todd Nock and colors by Hi-Fi. Uh, this is set on Christmas Eve in, uh, a planet Krypton restaurant the the chain of restaurants where everyone dresses as superheroes that apparently booster gold owns on of this course earth. he does and they're short-staffed so they call him in to help staff and then maxwell lord shows up to rob the place and start a fight and we find out no the whole thing was was staged by booster and lord so that they could like get extra tips and whatnot for the uh uh servers and staff who were stuck waiting that night like they staged this big fight let the servers save booster and then then all the patrons tip heavily like it's the most booster gold ass plot in that it's super contrived and goofy but also so sweet um so i i I, i'm not i'm looking through the story right now i'm not just imagining that i'm seeing this right this this is for bush girl right here right um, I think, <laughs> I think it's supposed to be the Red Tornado, but 100% I see Forbush. I mean, 
she got a pot on her head with eye holes in it. <laughs> yeah, but she's also got a red tornado on her. Yeah, okay, but like, here's the deal: if you wear an actual legit pot on your head with eye holes in it, you are four bush somebody. <laughs> okay, fine. She's the 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 four bush girl. I'll allow it. <laughs> the red I thought bush, the same the thing. Red the red four NATO. I guess I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. I thought the same thing and talked myself out of it. So uh, well. To be to be fair though, I am looking, and we do have an ice, as in fire and ice, an ice with a magic lasso, and an animal man with a Harley hammer. And so, oh, that's like, because they grab like at one point they grab all the oh okay superhero <laughs> weapons that are on display and I start gotcha. using them. Yeah. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I'm I'm just yeah. yeah. No, it's okay. it's a fun goofy ass story. I love Perfect. it. It's so I mean, booster, booster gold. gold. Yeah, great. yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Let's check in on Endless Winter. So we get two issues in the uh in the in the story moving forward. Yep. This week Flash, Flash 67 and a Superman and... Endless Winter special. Exactly. Yeah. And each of these issues follows I think kind of a similar structure. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of the history of the Justice League Viking, as we're calling them, uh, back in the 10th century, the first time that the Frost King showed up. And in Superman, we kind of see sort of the origin of the Frost King. Yes. Then each of these issues spends time with their title characters just kind of dealing with the destruction and being at a loss for the scale of it. Right. Um, Black Adam manages to steal the show, I think, in the Flash issue, which Agreed. I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, he's very hit or miss for me normally and works super well here. Yep. He he can be done very well or very not so well. Yeah. He's like Namor. He's Desert Namor, basically. He, uh, you, you know what? I will 100% agree with you. He is Desert Namor. Uh, him supercharging the Flash. Like, <laughs> there's the part of me that goes, that shouldn't work. And there's the other part of me that's much lighter that goes, but I don't care. That's just fucking cool. That's just awesome. Yeah, sure. I'm down for it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of our, our, our revelation for the Flash issue, more or less, is that it is yeah. Black Adam is connected to things and has knowledge that he's not sharing and is scheming some. Uh, we also learn that the, the would-be benevolent dictators of the island nation from the first issue of this are now refugees in Kondok yes. and working with Black Adam. Yep. And then again, in the Superman one, we get two things. We get, the, the as you mentioned, the origin of the Frost King, kind of. Mm-hmm. And then we get an article written by Lois Lane. Yeah. Which is essentially her telling the world how this is affecting Superman. Yeah. Kind of. I like Lois Lane leading the, like, escape from the powerless Daily Planet building to go find refuge. Yep. I like that a lot. Um... We also get at the end of this, I mean, we get, I like the art in this one a lot too. I uh, do too. The art and coloring. This is, I believe, Phil Hester with... Um, Phil Hester and Andy Parks. Phil Hester and Andy Parks. Oh, the, you know what, the... Colors Okay, are the fun. flashback is Marco Santucci. Ah, there it is. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The, yep. There you yep. go. Yes. All, all good, though. I love yep. all of it. Um, big Get fan of the art in this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
I like the the lowest scene. I like the scene of Superman back home with yep. Ma and Pa Kent. Uh, and then we get in Gotham a check in with Brian's new favorite supervillain, <sighs> Sebastian uh, uh, Stag. Uh, Stag, yes. Yeah. Yep. And we learn that they've been studying the chunk of of ice. debris, icy yeah. debris, and maybe there's not stuff in the ice so much as. Three living creatures. Sebastian Stagg is DC's most X-Men villain feeling character they have. Ooh, that's a good way of putting it, yes. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. He feels like he would be an, an, a, a, a mutant character from Marvel. <laughs> like, if like, he and Sebastian Shaw met, they would be it, fast friends. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And just like even his aesthetic, you know, the man bun and the... And the the <laughs> tattoo on the face, like it just all works. Yeah. yeah. So these these three creatures frozen in ice. It's definitely Viking Prince and a couple of other uh, Justice League Viking characters, right? Possibly the uh, the other people would that I, that made me think would be like his family, right? Oh, that could be. Yeah, that would that would be the only other way I could lean. I thought both of those, and I'm like, mm, that could be the one. Yeah, yeah. So this will continue this week in Aquaman. Yes. Yeah. All right. Tales from the Dark Multiverse Flashpoint Number One. Uh so uh, I mean, I I think I've said mostly enough about all these Tales from the Dark Multiverse stuff. There, I really like the unique take they're doing. They're not just making it an AU where they like do the obvious thing. Yeah. This one in particular is another one that like just really runs with changing that and like how it can affect characters differently. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because basically what happens is if you know, and I know you do in flashpoint where Barry goes to Bruce, right. And gets him to help him get struck with lightning to create his powers. Yeah. Right? Well, in this one, instead of Flash getting his powers, Flash, is de- Flash gets ki- Barry Allen gets killed, and Earbard <laughs> Thawne is drawn into this world. Oh, no. Yes. And basically, he goes through and just trashes kind of everybody that would put up a resistance, but keeps Thomas Wayne alive because Thomas Wayne is now the only person who knows this world is not what it should be. Mm. Right? And, uh, you know, basically tells how he created the president, the person that's the president now, by, you know, whispering in all the right ears. Kind of as we've seen that he has done, right? Yeah. Um, And basically, so we now have this triumvirate of powers where it's the Amazons controlling Europe and, you know, Aquaman controlling all of the, the England and all of the seas and Thawn controlling the United States and basically tells them to back off. And then when they kind of don't, he goes and kills Aquaman and says, okay, now here's the message I'm giving to you. <laughs> back off. <laughs> and yeah. And then things go, you know, take big turns from there and but yeah. like i like how f- I, I guess the right way to say this is i like how far they take these changes yeah that makes right? sense and flashpoint in particular is a good one because it was so different anyway 
Like right. they made so many big changes anyway in it, and this takes it even further, and I love it. Cool. Yeah. Crossover number two. So Brian, I want to open with a question here. Okay, I think it's the question I was going to ask answer anyway. So yeah. The last time we talked about this book, you were not sure if you liked it or not. I believe my comment exactly was, I think I like this book, but I'm not sure. Yes. I am now sure <laughs> that I do indeed like this book. <laughs> yes. So. And it's not just that they kill Brian K. Vaughn in it. No. Um, <laughs> Brian K. Vaughn, the, the first page of this issue is a newscast breaking in to say Brian K. Vaughn, acclaimed Marvel Comics writer, has been found brutally murdered today in his palatial New York home. And on the Chiron, comic book writer found dead, 14th comic book writer to be found dead in the last three weeks, Chips Darsky, Scott, Chips Darsky, Scott Snyder, and Robert Kirkman still missing. Yeah. Well, and then, and then the comment of the comic book shop owner who sees this is like, holy shit, BKV, what the, wait, Marvel writer, really? That's how you? And then it yeah. stops. <laughs> like, that is 100% Donny Cates just poking fun at stuff yeah <laughs> come on <laughs> um i also appreciated where brian k vaughn through the the panel syndicate twitter account did tweet at uh kate's when the preview for this <laughs> dropped with like you know that's not how you spell my name there's a second a in vaughn <laughs> um chips darsky and scott snyder on twitter decided they're in hiding together somewhere <laughs> i love it i love um, it um but I love, so we get that broadcast, and we get the, the sort of unreliable, unfocused narration from the yes. first issue that I just adore. It's like, mm, I probably shouldn't have brought this up. This actually happens later. Don't worry about it, right? Yeah, this is more of a second arc storyline, actually. You know what? I shouldn't yeah. have even brought it up. Yeah. 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 Um, but then, then we start checking in with our characters. Right? Yes. Yes. You are. And... Yeah. We we have uh, Ellie comes to check in on the comic shop owner. Yep, and we see Autumn, oh, right? yeah, we yeah. see we uh we then see oh Ava. what is the guy's name? Oh oh uh, uh uh you're talking about the the son? Yeah. Um oh gosh I don't I'm looking through Ryan. Thank you. Right, because it's short for Orion. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. yeah, we see we see Ryan getting arrested. For for blowing up the comic shop. And get the reminder that the two of them will fall in love at some point, Ryan and so Ellie. The, so these we get with these uh, and we got this in the last issue too, right? These these editorial boxes that's like, oh yeah, I don't the, the one that's like, I don't know if I should be talking about this now, and then about oh right, right when these two fall in love and all is this the superhero character that can see the future? I wondered the same thing. If okay. this is this is the person who get who writes the letter Right, because we, we yeah. later in this story we find out there's somebody who can there's a superhero whose power they can see the future and they're like assisting the government kind of yeah and it really strikes me like that's the only person that would have this knowledge right yeah I mean that or yeah like right clearly to whoever's speaking though whatever has happened has already happened maybe like, so yeah, it could who knows, just who knows. be who knows, but that's yeah. that's. This is why I like an unreliable narrator. I know, me too. Even if it's just sort of existentially unreliable. Um, like, way to thread the needle on omniscient and unreliable. I know, right? 
Um, but essentially, we find out. Right, so Ryan is, you know, was arrested for torching the comic book shop. Yeah, and basically, we find out that he's getting pulled to meet this person named Nathan, who is, uh, you know, the 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 men in black guy that leads up everything investigating the event, which is, you know, all of these superheroes appearing. Nathaniel Abrams Pendleton. Like the most, yeah. And all Ryan wants to do is just turn himself in, confess, be done with it. He feels terrible and does not want his father or his attorneys involved at all. Right. Um, I... Go ahead. I was gonna say I love Pendleton. Pendleton has no fucks to give. Nope. And is apparently really nice unless he needs to be an asshole just to attain pecking order. Yeah. Um and he's like Or 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 to get his job done. Like he yeah. like he yeah. He but will his do bas- yeah. his basic vibe is nah fuck it. I don't know what's going on. This is the best information I've got to work with. All I can do is buy into the bullshit, because clearly the bullshit is real. So, uh, here, you know everything I do. Do what you want, but frankly, it's either do what I'm asking or I have to disappear you, and I don't want to deal with that. He's like the most realistic person of, like, like it's, th- none of this shit is real, but apparently it is, so this is how I gotta deal with it. <laughs> and it's it's this really specific voice that he has that... Yeah if written even slightly differently, would sound just intimidating and coercive and terrible, but really just kind of comes across as efficient and a little harried and a little fed up, maybe, but in a, in a, why is the world this way? I don't know, but this is what I got to work with, so I am. Yeah. Kind of way. Yep. Um, We also learn about the superhero prisons. Correct. Um... And we see Batman and The Thing and some others incarcerated. We learn that most of the superheroes actually are okay with it and really just want to go home and, like, more or less turn themselves in and voluntarily stay imprisoned. Right. And they have safety. Yeah, and they have these lights that drain their powers. Yep. But that there's this one character, and they don't tell us who it is, that these light draining things do not stop their powers, and this is the person who can see things before they happen. Yes, who has written a letter for Ryan, right? Um, basically apologizing in advance and recognizing, as far as first act setups go, this one is fairly hacky. I know, but you're just gonna have to believe me on this one. And tells him he's got to go to the dome. You'll know what to do when you get there. Wish I could say it's going to be easy. I wish you didn't have to do it. But this is what you, uh, but this is what you were put here to do. If it helps, you won't be alone. Give Ellie my love. Uh, and kind of goes on a little bit past yeah. that. And also with this letter is a gun and a bullet that is made of the same stuff of the light that drains their power that can apparently kill any superhero that it yeah. shoots. Which has a real kryptonite vibe to it. Yeah, it does. Um, um, we, we did shift- learn that yeah. Ellie had been living in the comic shop. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that she's still got her domino mask on this whole Yeah, time. same. Um, and she had assumed that Ava's parents were under the dome, and learns they're being kept in basically a super in a not superhero, basically a regular unpowered comic book person concentration camp. Comic books. 
Bystanders, yes. Yeah. Where people are being pulled out for testing. Most of them don't come back. The ones that do come back, come back. Different. Traumatized, yeah. basically. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all the worst things you can imagine in a yeah. tournament camp, sure. Yeah. Um. So Ellie decides, all right, we'll help Ava somehow. We don't know how to do that, so maybe if we go back, we can find the person who got her out, and he can help us get in or help us tear this thing down. And we find out part of Ellie's motivation uh, is that on the day this happened, she got separated from her parents. Yeah. And so she's hoping that either in the dome or somehow, somewhere, they're still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we find out maybe Ava is not quite all she seems on the surface. Or she is and is developing powers that she didn't know about, which are not yeah. so great. Yeah. Um. All, oh, this is all so good. Yeah, I love this book so, so much. Like, it plays on all the best parts of what the hell would happen if comic book people turned out to be real like if we really are one of a, an alternate earth that exists in the multiverse that is comic book multiverses right yeah yeah um yeah just like the and don't get me wrong the art we have not talked really about the art this oh. time um it's jeff shaw and d Kniff on color the art in this remains gorgeous yes um, specifically the colors again yeah. oh my god speaking of excellent books with absolutely gorgeous arts especially the colors Homesick Pilots number one. Okay, so I almost didn't get to this before we recorded. And And then you realized how much I would have yelled at you? I would have been absolutely horrified head on it. Because this is maybe my favorite book of the week. Yes. Yeah. I have been so excited for this and absolutely adored it. It is Dan Waters writing and Casper Weingard as the art. Yep. Um. Including and, colors. Yeah. And, ev- oh, yes. and don't forget to mention the colors, because they play a huge part of this, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy Wingard's art just in general. I do, too. But the way he has colored this book is so like vibrant. Yeah, and, and like the color changes that happen... And like that, just the the white outline of characters against certain things, and yeah. like it's just so so cool. Yeah, I love like, it so much. I mean, things like subtle choices to, you know, we'll we'll be in a scene, say on like a pier, a boardwalk, something like that, and we'll get these like nice, rich skies and this sort of like moonlit, lamplit washed out colors you know what but then an important moment will happen and it's just all right we care about the action so let's take everything to solid color background solid color color background here's a gradient here's like a solid color with just like a splash between these two characters who are staring at each other enraged there's a part of this that gives me a little bit of paper girls yeah can you see that yeah i think I think in the the more saturated, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. not even the more saturated, but I think there is something that's very, like, we're seeing the same blues and pinks and very rich color yeah. palettes. I think that might be what it is. That that you get from, from Matthew Wilson. Yep. Um, but I I think there's a lot of, like, really conscious pulling back in 
using simple colored, single colored backgrounds mm-hmm. in just the right moment to to make you focus on a facial expression or posture or something like that instead of the more cinematic image. So I just want to point out we uh, we we open with this picture of this house on July eighteenth, nineteen ninety four, which mm-hmm. was my twenty fifth birthday. <laughs> Excellent. And so now I love this book even more. <laughs> uh, but yeah, essentially we we get the story of these three teen teens who are in a band. The Homesick Pilots. The Homesick Pilots, who have gone to see another band called The Last Nuclear Bastard, who have decided to put on this punk show in an abandoned bowling alley that just closed a couple weeks ago. Also, I want to... I wanna... Dan Waters, thank uh-huh. you. Thank you for just putting a text balloon that says some shitty derivative trash shit. I really appreciate because this book's tone allows for it. Just like, nah, this shit doesn't matter. Don't worry, it's bad, and that's all that matters. Um, You know what else this reminds me of? What's that? Quantum Teens or Go. I thought a little bit about that, too. But essentially what we get is we get you know, our, our homesick pilot band has seen this show and basically decided that if they're going to one up this for for their show, they've got to do something special. And so they decide that maybe they should do it in this haunted house called the James house. Cause while the band was terrible, like the atmosphere and environment of the show was awesome. Right. In this abandoned bowling alley that just, yeah, like that was great. Yeah. How do we top that, right? And so, and then we see a confrontation basically between these two bands. And clearly, the lead singer of the Nuclear Bastards is indeed a bastard because he's awful. Mm-hmm. He's an asshole. Uh, and then the, I don't know what, I, I guess if I went back, I could probably see what instrument she played. Looks like she maybe she plays the bass, the bassist. It's pretty cool and doesn't yeah. like that there's so much animosity between these two bands, right? Yeah. I think yeah. of of the other members of the Nuclear Bastards, like, yeah. she is the one who seems to be a decent human. Exactly. Um, yeah, and the, our, our, by the way, our, I guess I should say our, um, our kind of protagonist is Amita, or Amy, yeah. right? Uh, as they call her. And she, uh, she is uh, the one who was pushing for this Maybe we should do this in the haunted house. Yeah. Right? And kind of has a bad night and decides to go check it out on her own first. Um, so the band has to go looking for her the next day because she has gone missing. Yeah. Then we get to the page that is my favorite layout thing of the week. Is this the solid black page with just letters across it? It is not. No. I... I forget who, I'm, I'm sure I saw it probably because Aditya Bidikar retweeted it, but someone someone tweeted about how there are very few letterers who they feel like they would trust to letter on a black page and that he's one of them. Yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah, you know what, that, that really does track. I mean, we do have this beautiful page of this four panel page of the house with the different backgrounds. Because mm-hmm. that's just beautiful by itself. But then two pages later is the the spread that I'm talking about, which is essentially the the two other band members of of the homesick pilots climbing up and breaking in the third floor of this house. Yes. 
simultaneously, so it is a big two-page spread, we see a cutaway of the house and all the different rooms in the house, right? So as they climb up and go in the third story and walk across the third story and then go down to the second story, we get the nuclear bastards breaking in the back window of a house in the kitchen and walking across the floor of the house, the ground floor, and going up the stairs to the second floor, and then they meet in the middle. Yeah. In the middle room of the middle floor. And it's like, okay, that was really, really cool. It's really satisfying, right? It is. Yeah. Like, rooms as panels and place in house as time. Like, but also just in a very visceral, like, why are the most memorable family circus cartoons the dotted line across a neighborhood? Yeah, I don't know. It's just satisfying to see someone's path through space. I guess so. I guess so. Um... Yeah. Like, a static image that shows linear progression is, I think, just satisfying at a gut level. I think so. Like I said, it's super cool. I love it. Uh, And then we find out the nuclear bastards have followed them here because uh, the lead singer, who is the dick, wants to rob one of the uh, homesick pilots of his bag of weed. Yeah, And literally stabs him in the shoulder. And then the house kind of uh, starts in and essentially, uh, well, kills him, to be honest. Yeah, like, all the pipes bust out of the walls and ceilings and just pincushion him. Yeah. And then uh, one of them wraps around the other asshole of the nuclear bastards and pops his head off. Once you pop, the fun don't stop. And to which everybody else decides, uh, well, I guess we need to get the fuck out and tries to start doing that and figure out they may not be able to get out. And by the way, they have not found Amy anywhere in this house so far. Nope. Amy definitely appears to be missing. Yeah. And, uh, that kind of is the end of our story with them in the house. And then we get a cutaway to a new scene. Who is somebody who is clearly a movie star, a rising teen star, yep. or, or young adult, I can't, you know, age is kind of a little hard to determine, who talks about how she was just drawn to this horseshoe that she found in this weird shop, and how it made her so lucky, and like, now, you know, she has a movie career and all this, and uh, they walk out, and the horseshoe is floating, <laughs> and Amy shows up with ghostly white hair and says uh yeah by the way um that horseshoe got stolen from a house and um it wants it back now yeah yeah um i also look there's this weird little payoff and i don't know that that i don't know that it's even the most noticeable thing early on or if it's just my weird brain that sees a a t-shirt under a jacket and it's like What is the word on the whole time? I was like, I've got to know what this shirt says. (laughs) Well, yeah, from like page two, three, or page four, I guess it is. So, page four, the first time we see like Amy at the last nuclear bastard show, like the only thing I could see on her shirt is like O L E and part of an M and like C L A Y part of an M. And I'm like, right, is that something about a, yeah, like I see clay and I'm like, okay, golem, is this. Is this a joke on, like, a golem and the house is... Yeah. And then in the very last panel, her her jacket is, like, down from her shoulders. Mm-hmm. And she is wearing a shirt for, I guess, a band called Golem and the Claymen. Yes. 
which is such a weird little detail i know to like call out but that's the kind of planning and and stuff in this book just that attention to detail and intentionality i think is part of why it is so good this is a great great book yeah. loved it captain marvel number 24 turns out uh turns out namor's son is just as big of a dick as he is <laughs> So early in this issue, he mentions, yeah, he's talking to to Bridget. And he's like, yeah, I'm part Asgardian too. And I'm like, oh, there's no way that can be good. And then the first time we see like the flashback of his mother with just silhouette and blonde hair, I'm like, oh no, I know who this is. This is why everyone yep. is mind controlled. Yep. Yeah. Um, I was not expecting that. And how terrifying is the idea of Namor... And the Enchantress as a couple. Yeah, that's like a power couple you just don't want to see. No. No. Like, um, Namor with someone giving him that many bad ideas is bad news. So our our band is basically being treated as a guest, right, in this new Atlantis? I feel and like there are one quotation of, marks around guests. Of course there is, because I was going to say is it, it's 100% you know they're not actually guests like yeah yeah they're like oh well you know okay if they're all these people are volunteering and doing all this work volunteering can we talk to them oh sure we'll get to that it's one of those like oh so yeah. you're totally just putting this off until the trap springs right like part of what i like so much about this issue is they know it's a trap yeah ove knows they know it's a trap yeah and the fact that he doesn't care that they know makes this terrifying yeah yeah, I do. Also, just so so one so what so Ove invites Carol to a private dinner. Yeah, and brings has his people deliver her all of these dresses to wear that she can choose from. So creepy. And she's like, yeah, I, I, and and Emma's like, you're not, are you're not going to wear one of these, are you? And she's like, hell no, I'm not wearing one of these. Da, da, da. And so Carol comes back, and she's like, Emma, oh, so you're wearing the dress? And Emma's like, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> And then Carol keeps complaining about it, right? <laughs> and I can't believe you're still wearing a dress when we get for this recon. To which Emma replies, and this is my quote of the week, by the way. Brian's quote of the week. <laughs> quote, quote. Carol, I have fought wars endless. And didn't you wear a swimsuit with thigh highs? <laughs> you know what they say about stones and glass houses, right? <laughs> to which somebody says, you guys remember we are telepathically linked, right? <laughs> and Emma goes, aren't you the lucky ones, my love? <laughs> God, I love Emma. Kelly Thompson's Emma is just <laughs> in a league of her own. I know, I love it. Uh, and then we get to my truly terrifying part of the book, <laughs> which is when they open the vault. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And my girl is enslaved in magical chains. And we find out how Carol got brought here. Yeah. Yeah. It was Ilyana. Magic. Magic brought her here. Using <laughs> magic. <laughs> Any of you have seen the little... <laughs> anyway, I won't go there. That's funny. Uh, yeah, suffice it to say things don't go well after that. No. No, yeah. it's a bad day for everyone. Turns out Enchantress and her magic are... Probably not quite what they were expecting. No. So, yeah. Uh, God, I like this, though. I, I do like this story a lot. As awful as some of these people are, they're they're good characters. 
Agreed. Heroes at Home number one. So this, uh, specifically, I, I think the reason to read this is just to see how uh, Guri Hero can tell a story with nothing but her art. Their art. Or their art. Yeah. Team. Yes. Was, you're right. You're right. And that's why I said, you're, you're, yep, I corrected yeah. myself. Their art. Yes. Because there's almost no words in this. Really? Have, did you read it at all? No, I, I didn't pick it up. Okay. It is, uh, I mean, obviously, same person. Like, the art style is just like Superman smashes the clan, right? Mm, yeah. And so, the, like, the art is super, super cool. Yet, like, I think there's probably not more than 10 word panels in the whole thing, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, it's, like, long, but it goes super fast. So, like, the first one is Peter, right? And I'm not going to go through each of these individually. Parker? Peter Parker, yep. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm gonna, just going to tell you the first one is an example of like what these are like, right? Yeah. So we've, we see Peter with his uh, spider suit on, but his mask off, right? And he's got a uh, uh, an oven tray full of croissants that he's about to bake. <laughs> and he sets the oven and puts them in, right? And then he's vacuuming, and he's folding laundry. And I will point out, uh, so one of the t-shirts on the top of the pile is Jeff the Landshark on the... Yes. Uh, and then he's like, uh, you see him sitting down and he's fiddling with some of his web stuff. And we see him look down and he's putting his web cartridge in and he looks and the web cartridge says active dry yeast. <laughs> and he stops for a minute and he's like, oh, and then we switch to the kitchen and there's webbing. Just the oven door is blown off and there's webbing. All <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and like that's an example of what these are like. Yeah. Right? And then I was about four stories into this when I realized the one thing that will truly make you at some point want to see this, and that is that it turns out Jeff the Land Shark is hidden in every single one of these. Amazing. Yes. Absolutely fantastic. Yes. Uh but yeah, we get we get Black Panther and Hulk and Captain Marvel and like all of these heroes and just kind of these goofy little, you know, aside moments that are just kind of fun. It, cool. th and that's that's what I would say this is. This is just fun. Awesome. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Krakoa, or <sighs> Krakoan space, yeah. sword number one. So, okay, first off, uh, Marte Gracia, coloring on this is, uh, pardon the pun, out of this world. <laughs> See what you did there. The first shot we get is the sword station orbiting, and it's just gorgeous. That is, that is beautiful, yeah. Uh, the peak. And Magneto has come to visit. We get the, the hierarchy of the peak with Abigail Brand in charge. We see that Magneto is the council representative. And then there are six divisions under brand. Technology and engineering, led by WizKid. Logistics, led by Manifold, with a teleport team of Blink, Lila Cheney, Gateway, Vanisher, and Amelia Vaught. Uh, in what seems like the most ill-advised staffing decision <laughs> in history... Medical and energy resources are overseen by Fabian Cortez. Um, just put a pin in his name for a moment because I will yeah. mention him again 
later. Uh, of course you will. Uh, diplomacy and negotiation are overseen by Frenzy, with armor in training, and a Kree scroll ambassador is on deck right now. Uh, Pybok. Cable oversees security with Random and Risk as his subdirectors. We don't know who is in charge of observation and analysis, but the second in command there is Peeper. Yep. Um, there are also in this in this diagram six characters marked as assigned to Redacted X. Which, uh, I think we learn what that is in the course of this issue. Yeah, we do. Uh, and then we get Magneto's arrival, and, like, through this whole first scene, he's repositioning the base in space for better fuel efficiency, which I love. Yes. Like, like, using his magnetic power to reposition it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. To which Cable uh, says, whoa, whoa, wait, you're doing that while moving a thousand-ton space station into place? He's like, yeah, I can also walk and chew a little gum. <laughs> Um, I also appreciate the thank you for your welcome, Nathan. Did I detect a hope you survive the experience? <laughs> As well, if you don't survive, I'm pretty sure I get fired. So, you know, try not to die of old age while you're here. I love the two of them together. In they, they're, they're, they're just sassy enough to each other. Yes. Yeah. Um, then we get Abigail Brand on deck. Yeah. Uh, and she takes over giving Magneto his tour. And then we jump to a text page. And remember when we were talking about Immortal Hulk and I was like, oh, Peter Gyrick's in charge of Alpha or Gamma Flight now. Uh Alpha Flight and Gamma Flight, I guess. Yes. Uh, That seems like that could become relevant in S.W.O.R.D. Well, Brian, who is Abigail Brand pissed about being in charge of Alpha Flight now? Uh, That'd be Henry Gyrick. Yeah. Yeah. Between Gyrick and Fabian Cortez showing up in (sighs) here. I'm getting some serious 90s X-Men animated series, like, vibes. Yeah. Also probably because I just rewatched all of it and all of X-Men Evolution, and I'm working on Wolverine and the X-Men now, but neither here nor there. I, 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 love, I love that Magneto just will not even give him the time of day. No, it's great. Like, he's just so beneath Magneto, and watching, like, watching Magneto be super cool to other people, especially Peeper. Yes just eats cortez up and you know it well and my i possibly one of my favorite things in the whole book is right after that when he's when he's trying to suck up to magneto essentially and magneto Mm -hmm. like is like ignores him basically and walks on to it and he turns to abigail and he's like why him exactly she's like slim pickings short notice and we're working on it and like but like her face that grimace yeah. that on her face is like, uh, I know he's the worst, but like, it's all we got right now. <laughs> yeah. This is also one of those books that, that kind of is led by some characters I don't know. Yep, me too. Um, Wizkid yes. is one of them. Wizkid, who I immediately dig in this. Oh, yeah. Um, and also appreciate the, the Valerio Skitty is on art, and I appreciate the choice to put him in a chair that is basically charles xavier's from the 90s x-men cartoon but in red yeah uh-huh um it was like yeah he communicates with technology whether it's mutant or organic or mechanical like if it's technological in some way he can interface with it and like i like that the power set doesn't distinguish between the basis of the technology. Correct. Um, and Magneto's like, ah, well, the honor is mine. 
Uh, like he's super cool. Like everyone but Fabian, he's just super cool too. I love the old grandfather, old grandfatherly vibes on Magneto in this book. Very much so. Uh, and we get some walk and talk. We get, uh, here's another instance of me harassing Brian about not having read enough Al Ewing stuff. Uh, we get the information that, oh, hey, Snark War from Guardians of the Galaxy is relevant. And so is the destabilization of the entire galactic economy. Um, and I'm assuming the something roaming through space, killing and eating whole planets it's is... It's gotta be null, right? Null, yeah. yeah. Tying into so many things Brian's not paying attention to. Uh, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Um, but, like, it, I think it catches you up pretty well. And, like, we get Brand's sort of MO here, which is, okay, yes, I get it. You're worried about Krakoa and its place in the world. But, like, while you are funding us, I have to think of Earth's place in space, so forgive me if I'm not always worried about your one island. Right. Um, then we see the diplomatic suite, which is called the Stranger Room, which is basically an in-space danger room for uh, uh, ceremonial trials by combat. Yep. And, like, we see the ambassador punching out the Kree scroll ambassador, who's like, this place is great. I am recommending we negotiate with you guys. <laughs> yep. Uh, like, the sense of humor in this book is it's fantastic. It's definitely on point, yes. One might say sword point. Yeah. But there is one issue that the Kree Scroll Empire has with Krakoa specifically. Yeah. And I like, again, just. The way that this is sort of tying into everything, the the very broad, very broad approach to creating the political atmosphere, drawing from every possible corner, I think is part of what makes this book work so well for me. And in this case, it's the the Krakoa doesn't accept Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, because she is not actually a mutant and because of... Genosha. Uh, uh, Genosha, but also because of um, the decimation, the whole no more mutants thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also having Magneto involved, like, he calls her the Pretender, which is as much about her maybe not really being a mutant, as much as it is when she learned she and Petra weren't mutants, they also learned that they weren't magneto's children right so like it's a very personal stake yeah there's a lot of bitterness there from him yeah. yeah and none of this does the book make a big meal out of it just presents it as fact and landscape and moves on yeah it's like x-men space west wing yeah um then we get fabian cortez's appearance and then we get to the al ewing sort of like yeah high high concept sci-fi so and, we know I the five correct who are the resurrection protocol yes and we may have seen them referred to this way before but this book talks about them as a circuit hmm. which is why WizKids' ability with we mentioned i mentioned mutant technology um mutant technology meaning like circuits created of people with complementary power sets mutants with complementary power right. sets where where it flows from one to the other to accomplish something on the other end right? yeah a system sure and we see Sword has the six, who were those six marked with Excellent. the Sword logo. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
that uses a circuit and a teleportation crew to open this void. And there's a, a, a sort of breakdown of who they all are and what they do and who their backups could be. And like, we get, we get sort of the, the schematics uh, as text pages, which I think is a great use of text page. Sure. Because it lets us sort of get all the answers to the questions and then see the cool cosmic shit. Um, and we get into cool cosmic shit immediately after that. They open a circuit to create a wormhole to reach into a void essentially um yeah so if you remember that we named that there were like what was it four or no five teleporters like yes powerful teleporters like not just like you know nightcrawler poof from here to there but yeah. like lila cheney who can teleport literally across the universe right yeah manifold right and yep gateway and yeah and like they combine all of them in this to basically open this portal to way way beyond the known existence of space yes like way out past anything what they call they like further and further further still into the mystery right yeah yeah could journey into mystery mystery. yeah i know of course i thought the same thing right and after it's over manifolds like beat up is like so we we just broke some laws cosmic ones like like a, a, a equivalent to this right would be if this were dc they open something beyond the source wall right? pretty much yeah and in this place they send this team which are the rest of the six right essentially to yeah. harness this I think they refer to it as an elemental cosmic heart. Uh-huh. And take it and using their their abilities in tandem, basically compress it down into a pyramidal-shaped thing and bring it back with them. So I have a theory. Okay. Because Al Ewing is... Al Ewing. Well, I was going to say one of those writers who, like, you can say is Al Ewing, but Rick Reminder yeah. does this. Oh, yeah. Um, Jonathan Hickman certainly does this. Who is, because he is one of these writers who is very canny about not reinventing the wheel uh-huh. and about using ideas and concepts that he has played with before and bringing them back in new and interesting ways. Or even that other people have created and kind of left sitting out there. Yeah. Right. Um, I think I know what this is. Okay. At least I have a good guess. I think this is ISO eight. Oh, you now that I do not know. So right after Secret Wars, when we had our sort of like soft, not reboot in the way DC does it, but sort of our soft relaunch of the world, and the Fantastic Four was outside of space, rebuilding existence, and there was an eight month time jump in comics. Like, like, new editorial segment of the Marvel yeah, Universe, like, yeah. In that moment where, like, the world in continuity was rebuilt from scratch from nothing. Okay. Al Ewing wrote a pair of Ultimates books about a high-concept, basically, Space Avengers team. It's the book where they turned uh, uh, Galactus from the, the Destroyer uh, into the Lifebringer. Life okay. 
one of the concepts that Ewing introduced was the concept of ISO 8, which was this building block of reality. And the reason why it is called ISO 8 is because with each rebirth of the Marvel Universe, it becomes more complex. So prior to Secret Wars, it was ISO 7. The universe that held ISO 6 was the one that... Uh, uh, Gantt. Galen. No, uh, Galen, yeah, sorry. Who becomes, in this universe... Galactus. Uh, becomes Galactus. Yep. That was his home universe, was where ISO 6 came from. Okay. Um... In continuity, the cosmic cubes are made out of ISO 7 or ISO 8. Like, this is, like, the very fabric building blocks of reality, Got if it. it is ISO 8. Like, with basically limitless potential for reshaping reality, if you know how to harness it and what to do with it. Got it. That is my guess. It's uh, also a currency in some Marvel video games. <laughs> Uh, no, I, that sound, like, just from the portrayal here, that sounds exactly like what, what, what this might be. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say how much I like Abigail Brand? I did not, I don't have a lot of exposure to her, but, like, in this in particular, I really like her. I think there are books where she ends up written, like, Space Maria Hill. Okay. I can see very, that, yeah. Yeah, just, like, where her role is a little more bureaucratic and impatient and I'll do what's right and what not not what's good or yeah. whatever. Um but here I think she's written with a little bit more like depth than just that. So yeah, I'm with you. She's fantastic in this. Yeah. Um I feel like she gets written better in X-Men books than out of X-Men books. Well, then we're in good shape. All right, loved yeah. it. Let's go. Marauders number 16. I love everything about this book. Uh, yeah, probably my favorite Kate in I don't even know how long. Oh my yes. god. So good. All good. We get good Emma. We get good Storm. We get good Lockheed. We get good Sebastian in the terms of being a good character and being who he is. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just a colossal dick. It is. So, um, yeah, essentially we get Bishop showing up to, she, he is called Storm to like a private meeting to say, yeah, so we did an investigation on where Kate was killed and, uh, found this, uh, this thing that only could come from where Sebastian lives. And Aurora's like, yeah, we know, we know who did it. And he's like, and you're just going to let him go. She's like, oh no. No, he'll pay. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We're on this. Don't worry. <laughs> to which we see Emma and Kate riding up on horses to uh, Hellfire Bay. Yes. Which is the castle that, you know, Shaw has taken for himself. I've also got to say, there was a part of this issue, mm -hmm. about the first half or so of it, where because they put Storm in her black costume... I really thought they were just going to, like, kill him and put her in running ah, as the Black Queen. Got it. Um, but no, so they, they come and they knock, and Shaw is all put out that somebody is disturbing his enjoyment of his incredibly pricey whiskeys that he has collected. 
<laughs> and gets up to go answer the door and walks up to the door and is like, yes, who is it? And you just see these fists come through the door. And of course, the first one is Kate's fist with her knuckle tat that says kill. And then followed up by her other fist that says Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> As she punches him through the door and then walks her and Emma through it. Like, didn't even open the door, just walked in. And then they proceed to absolutely fuck him up. Yeah. Hey, where did Emma <laughs> get the gun from Crossover? <laughs> I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> I, I love the sound effect. VoIP, as in voiceover internet protocol? Sure. Uh, because, uh, you know, obviously Kate punched him and he's like, man, you two really blundered in coming in here. Do you not remember what my power is? That, like, you know, the more you hit him, the stronger he gets, right? Yeah. To which Emma's like, oh, yeah, I, we do remember, you know, as long as you have your gift. And she shoots him with this gun. And it's like, and now you don't. To which, <laughs> to which Kate then goes up and just knees him in the crotch as hard as she can. <laughs> yep. And you know he has never felt that before. Master that kinetic energy. <laughs> God, she is just on point in this. Because then she proceeds to just start fucking up his whiskey collection. Yeah, like just dropping bottles or taking a swig and throwing them in the fireplace. Oh, I love her one where she takes a big gulp and goes, hey, guess who I am? And like spits it in the fire so of course it flares up. I'm Lockheed. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Uh, because uh, it turns out Lockheed wants to kill him for what yeah. he did. Understandably. Yeah. And they, uh, uh, Emma's like, you'll be glad to know I negotiated with Lockheed. And uh, so Lockheed's not going to kill you. Oh, there's one thing before we get there, though. Oh, yeah, there is. Um, He, like, puts his fists up and he's like, I can fight you without powers. My name is, my name is Sep. And then she just. Ninja chops him in the throat. Yeah, she does because the throat, throat jab. Yeah, they may remember his powers, but clearly he has forgotten that Kate is also trained as a goddamn ninja. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and she, like literally, his hands are up to block, and she just reaches through his hands and uh -huh. then throat punches him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. To which, I, uh, what I love is then they're sitting down, and Emma basically explains it to him, nice and calmly, being Emma. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, we can bring this before the Quiet Council, and we can have a vote, and you will end up beside Sabretooth forever in the, I can't remember what they call it, but. Uh, in the hole. The hole. Forever. And, like, never, ever get out. And, or we can make this a private hellfire matter and deal with it now. Which would you prefer? To which, of course, because he's Sebastian. Neither! You took my power from me, and he gets up and starts running. To which Emma's like, uh, you, I mean, you can hear the sigh in her voice, right? Yeah. <sighs> Do be a deer and go collect him. <laughs> then we get the best nine-panel spread in the history of nine-panel spreads. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. Exterior. Shaw flying out of the first or the second floor window mm -hmm. and hitting the ground in panel three. Yeah. Q, one of my favorite characters, Glob Herman. Oh my gosh, you okay, Mr. Shaw? Kitty enters through the door. Well, literally Glob. walking through the door, yeah. Yeah. Grabs Shaw by the leg and starts dragging him through the door. Bye, Glob. Shaw. Uh. And then the last two panels, Glob starts to walk off and then it's... Glob, Glob running, running off, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, we 
then somebody brings in Lockheed. It's Storm. Storm brings Lockheed in. And uh Now you want the panel where I went to Dark Knight Returns? Oh, this yeah. panel with the lightning behind Storm and That's Lockheed. That's fair. That's fair. Because as she's walking in, uh hold that thought, Sebastian. I am not the only aggrieved party. And we hear Storm go, Lockheed demanded blood, and then we see Aurora and I demanded to witness this. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, and th- that's where Emma says, yeah, I negotiated on your behalf a settlement whereby the young lad, meaning Lockheed, will only uh, acquire a taste of what he wanted, to which Lockheed removes one of his eyes yeah. and spits it in the fire. But look on the bright side, Shaw. Now you can cosplay Old Man Cable. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, like, Shaw really doesn't understand what position he's in still. Even no, after like, that? He clearly thinks that he can still turn this around and get the upper hand. Oh, yeah. And then they tell him that, yeah, we know everything that you did, like including dealing with the Verendi and all of it. And by the way, you just that, that drink that you just had was laced with Verendi poison. So you're not going to die and get resurrected. You're going to stay here in a broken body for a long, long time. To which he... Because the the poison that he drank basically cripples his body. Um, to which uh, Kate calmly reaches into an inner pocket of her red <laughs> trench coat and pulls out a patch and puts it over his eye for him, so he has a patch. To to which Emma looks and goes, "Carry an eye patch in your pocket." Figured and... I'd need it at some point. <laughs> and then we cut to the next morning. As the quiet council gathers. <laughs> Which, incidentally, this does confirm for us yes, Gene is out. Correct, correct. Um, and, yeah, they uh, the spring council walks in, to which, um, you know, Kate pushing Sebastian in the, uh, in the wheelchair, and um, to which I think it's Magneto makes the comment. It looked, yeah. Excuse me, Emma, but should the council not discuss what has happened to Sebastian? And Kate goes, nope. I mean, unless you want to put it to a vote. Yes, I, w- I would like to. <laughs> to which yeah. they all vote. Uh, we get a yes from, from uh, Professor X. A yes mm-hmm. from Magneto. A hell yes from Mr. Sinister. <laughs> a very well yes from um, Shaw. Oh, who is his uh, son? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, damn it. Drawing yeah. I don't know. And then, then Mystique, <laughs> no. Mystique's is my favorite. I love the little smirk on her face. <laughs> yes. Uh, Aurora is no. Kurt is, um, I guess, yes. To which Emma, Sebastian wisely, and Kate all say no. Ah, looks like we're deadlocked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, so good. And then, you know, like the last, the last panel of this, the look on his face, like he still thinks he can turn this around. Of course it's... he does. He, this, so what we find this whole episode is Kate and Emma's revenge against him. And it is yeah. magnificently done. Yes. Yeah. I loved it. All right. Is it still good? Yeah. Let's get Seven going. Secrets, number five. 
in order to to defend themselves, all the secret holders go to one place. And it's as bad an idea as you might expect. In Justice Year Zero, number 12, the Joker gets an upgrade. Wonder Woman, number 768, Brian. Uh, Diana starts tracking down what happened to Maxwell Lord and uh, gaining an understanding of uh, Liar Liar while she sinks deeper into her imagined psychosis. And uh, becomes a knight. Lock and key, the Sandman, Hell and Gone, number zero. Uh, so I'm going to step out of format just for a moment here. Um, this essentially is reprinting uh, a couple of stories. Um, so it's reprinting uh, from Sandman 1 uh, the introduction of uh, who, uh, y- y- you know, them trying to summon death and bind death and getting... Morbius instead, right? Um, which is from very early, very, very early in Sandman. And then the other one they're reprinting is, hang on, I want to make sure I get the right, uh, Open the Moon, which was a short story that took place in, gosh, uh, I can't remember exactly where, one of one of the additional uh, lock and key books, right? Yeah. Uh, and basically it is just kind of a, a it's, this is issue zero. So it introduces us to both Key House and the the house in uh, Witchcross, England, which is the, the the mansion that was owned by the Lord Magus of the Order of Ancient Mysteries, right? Um, which is where they uh, were attempting, uh, like I said, to summon uh, death and bind her, and uh, in they end up summoning uh, uh, Morpheus by act. Um, but yeah, so it, this is just an introduction to those two places because they are going to be the settings and how they end up. Um, getting tied together for this going on. I am cool. super excited about this. Marvel Action Chillers, number three. Uh, we learn that Nadia Van Dyne and Peter Parker uh, have been working on a lab experiment together to help cure the lizard when the book frees Venom and binds Venom to Peter. And uh, Nadia and eventually Ironheart have to fight off Venom. So good. Mm -hmm. I miss Nadia. Me too. Um, Getting it together, number three. Uh, The band plays a gig and then everyone gets high. Avengers, number 39, Brian. Uh, We get the backstory of the Avengers 1 million B.C. Phoenix. Guardians of the Galaxy number nine. Um, maybe Peter Quill's not dead so much as has been living in an alternate reality for 140 something years until he gets chased down by the Olympian gods. And oh, by the way, he might have actually been made uh, been made into more than a human by the Master of the Sun, whoever that is, although the Master of the Sun doesn't exist. Juggernaut number four. Uh, Kane Marco smashes stuff. In this case, the stuff belongs to Arnim Zola. King and Black, Namor number one, or as I will henceforth refer to it, Namor babies. Uh, young Namor and friends fight off invaders uh, who are threatening a peace between kingdoms and uh, then get sent off to deal with some mysterious artifact that 
I imagine will have to do with the King in Black because the book's called King in Black Namor. Uh, Strange Academy, number six. The faculty shows up to rescue the ten missing students and succeeds with nine of them. Oops. R.I.P. Dormammu. Oh. Venom, number 31. Um, Eddie Brock learns that it's not the fall that kills you. This week's books. Uh, Second Coming, Only Begotten Son, number one. This is on both of our lists. Was it? Okay, good. Yep. Uh, all four more Mark Russell writing, not Superman. Right. And his roommate, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm all for this. Yeah. Uh... King in Black, Immortal Hulk one-shot. This is exactly what it says on the tin, right? Like, it's it's how the two of these characters, I guess, relate, deal with each other. I keep seeing tweets from different Marvel creators who've already read this saying just how good it is. I am super excited. Brian, mm-hmm. Death Metal number six. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this is our wrap-up. This is the big battle, right? We just had the... The the one shot that gave us the night before, and this is uh this is gonna be the big fight, the the end of it. There's a seventh issue. I know, but like that's what I mean by oh, this is okay. like the this is the battle. This is the I, I imagine that's the denouement. Because gotcha. this is this is this is the fight, this is it? Yep. Yeah. Uh and then I've got a pair of books that are not number ones, but that I do want to draw attention to. One is Resonant number six. This is a vault series that started, I believe, in 2018 and maybe even the first arc wrapped up then. It's been on a long hiatus, but it's excellent. And if you were reading it, don't miss this next issue coming back. If you haven't read it, grab the first arc and trade. Strongly recommend it. Uh, And then New Mutants number 14 is the beginning of Vita Ayala's run as... The writer for the New Mutants book. Yes. Uh, I think they did a couple of, of issues for Ten of Swords, but this is New Arc dealing with, like, I think this is going to be dealing with the Okaran land that got added back. Or, sorry, Arakan land that got added back. Uh, because it talks about the New Mutants being out in the unexplored wilds. Right. In the solicitation. I can't text. wait. I can't wait. And that is it for us this week. We'd like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com, support us at patreon.com slash panelology, get merch at bit.ly slash panelologymerch, capital P, capital M, or write to us sending us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelologymailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. Go read some comics this week.